Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Another officer-involved shooting just miles away from where George Floyd died in police custody. Was the shooting justified? Was it accidental? We will show you the police body cam video and let you decide. And Biden has a great idea, he says, on how to stop the border crisis. He wants to send a bunch of your tax money to Central America. Is that a crazy idea or just a stupid one? And the Democrats have decided to change the meaning of yet another word. They can make the word infrastructure mean anything they want in order to use your tax dollars to pay for it. All of that and more on tonight's Dr. Gina Primetime. Joe Biden has some big, big plans. The plan is to spend $2.3 trillion that the government does not have to fund infrastructure projects across the country, except there's a little debate happening right now over what the word infrastructure actually means. Now, we all know what the term means. Roads, bridges, railroads, airports, even the electrical grid and gas pipelines are fair game on that concept, except the Keystone pipeline isn't included in that anymore, apparently. The left has started a campaign to totally redefine the word infrastructure. The leftist media and the Democrat Party are all working together on this. Here is what Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm said on ABC's Sunday Morning News show. Watch. What is infrastructure? Historically, it's been what makes the economy move. What is it that we all need to ensure that we as citizens are productive? So we need roads, we need bridges, we need transmission, you need lights in people's homes and offices. You need to make sure that people can actually go to work if they have an aging parent or a child. This is, you know, as the president said this week, that infrastructure evolves to meet the American people's aspirations. Infrastructure evolves to meet their aspirations. Well, that's very convenient now, isn't it? Democrat Senator Kristen Gillibrand tweeted this. Paid leave is infrastructure. Child care is infrastructure. Caregiving is infrastructure. Um, no, actually, Senator, none of that is infrastructure. One MSNBC host even looked around in some dictionaries to find a definition that loosely fits what Biden wants it to mean. Listen. I mean, you can look up the word infrastructure in various dictionaries. Oxford says it's the basic systems and services that are necessary for a country or an organization to run smoothly. Under that definition, it can be a lot of things. And the guest there is a staff writer for The New Yorker, and she jumped in to lower the bar even further. Watch this. By expanding uh, child care centers, improving public schools, improving elder care, uh, those are going to have direct economic benefits uh, for families. So in that regard, I certainly would include them as critical infrastructure. So let me understand. As long as there are direct economic benefits for families, as Joe Biden's team uh, deems them, then it's, we can call it infrastructure. 
Got it. But the left is really good at changing the definitions of words to suit whatever their agenda happens to be at the moment. So we came up with a little list today of terms that we've noticed the left has redefined to suit their wants and needs. The first and most obvious example is infrastructure <laughs> and what it now means. It means anything under the sun that the left can spend your money on. And the term assault rifle is another one that's a little bit like that. And that means essentially any gun that looks scary to the left. The term racist now can be defined as anyone who disagrees with the left. And that's probably you many times over and over every time you get on social media or say anything that the left agrees with. And then there's the term anti-fascist. Now, anti-fascist is actually now just a word that means fascist because we know that the anti-fascists are the pros at using fascist tactics. So while they're doing what they're doing, they call you the name of what it is they're actually doing. I know if this is confusing you, I think that might be part of the point. Now there is the term gender, the scientific term for the sex that one identifies with the day um, you know that they wake up and or maybe it's just part way through the day and they might start feeling a certain way and then all of a sudden they become that gender. Unless you think that there are only two genders, you would be sorely mistaken. There are many genders, many dozens in some cases, um, as the left deems them. So you can't know at any particular moment what gender someone might be feeling in that particular moment. And dare you assume you are a bigot. Income inequality is when people who work have more money than people who don't work, or people who save have money compared to people who didn't save, right? Just so you've got that straight. Now, diversity is another one. Diversity is the racist practice of hiring or including people in a group based solely on the color of their skin. So um, if, you, if you don't hire people based solely on their skin color, exactly as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said not to do, by the way. Example, if you hire someone based on their educational background or their experience or their qualifications or God forbid their character, exactly as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said to do, then you are not practicing diversity. Just making sure you've got that straight. Okay, another definition of the left is woke. Now, woke is when one's eyes are opened to all of the things I just told you, like the left's definition of racism and the left's de definition of inequality that exists absolutely everywhere in your daily life and that is whether you actually notice it, recognize it or not. And you are absolutely a racist, especially if you don't recognize it. And there is inequality, especially if you don't see it. Yes, that's true. And realizing that all comedy is offensive if someone is saying any of the things above in the wrong context or without the left definition, that is also racist and offensive and must be banned. So just so you're getting all this straight, I hope you're writing it down. We've made these little charts for you. So you have those. So um, now Black Lives Matter is an organization that cares nothing about black lives and is used as a fundraising organization to make a select few leaders of that movement 
very, very powerful and very, very wealthy. But you are not allowed to say anything unkind or true about Black Lives Matters because then you are a racist. Okay, got that? Good. All right, we move on. The term migrant. Migrant is now a non-citizen who illegally walks across the southern border, or really any border, but especially the southern border, and is given free housing and transportation by the Biden administration. And because that person gets special privileges because they are a potential future Democrat voter. And it has to be this way because Americans won't vote for Joe Biden unless they steal votes or commit fraud to get those votes. So they have to get their votes from people coming across the border. So we have to call them migrants. Now migrants were formerly known as illegal aliens or illegal immigrants, but referring back again to our glossary, if you use any of those terms like illegal alien or illegal immigrant, you are a racist. And the most famous and the original word that was redefined in the leftist lexicon is welfare. And that word is found twice in the U.S. Constitution, and that now stands for taxpayer money taken from productive citizens and given to others in exchange for votes and to preserve the permanent underclass that votes for and has become the power base of the left to perpetuate their wealth and their power in the leftist elite political class. And of course, there are many other terms that I didn't have time to include here because we only have a one-hour program. So if you thought of some of the other terms in the leftist lexicon that I may have forgotten, head on over to my social media accounts and leave your ideas in the comments. I am Real Dr. Gina on pretty much all social media sites that I haven't been banned from yet because I didn't use the words appropriately that I just cited for you. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back to Dr. Tina Primetime. Joe Biden has big, big plans to spend your money on infrastructure projects that aren't really infrastructure projects at all, like child care and elder care. So what are the chances that any Republicans in Congress will sign on to this idea? Let's see what Tom Borelli has to say. Tom, great to see you. Hey, Dr. Gina, great to be back with you again. Tom, let's check out what they're saying over on MSNBC. One host found a dictionary definition of infrastructure that he was particularly fond of. Listen. I mean, you can look up the word infrastructure in various dictionaries. Oxford says it's the basic systems and services that are necessary for a country or an organization to run smoothly. Under that definition, it can be a lot of things. And Tom, uh, Democrat Senator Christian Gillibrand uh, tweeted this. Paid leave is infrastructure. Child care is infrastructure. Caregiving is infrastructure. Tom, what isn't infrastructure where the Democrats are concerned? You know, Dr. Gina, that's, that's a great question. I guess everything is. Just pile it all in one bill, dole out money to your favorite groups and perhaps your, your favorite left-wing causes, and that's it. It's infrastructure. Traditionally, infrastructure was roads and bridges, things that people are really familiar with in their daily lives and what affects them. 
But with this infrastructure plan, in addition to the elder care and child care per, you know, Senator Gillibrand, there's other things as well. It's really the Green New Deal cloaked in infrastructure because they have a lot for electric cars. There's a lot for that type of uh, green energy technology. It's everything but really what the American people need. And President Biden should know this because I'm old enough to remember, I think you are too, <laughs> that under former President Obama, they had their own kind of shovel-ready infrastructure uh, plan with that stimulus, and it didn't do much, except we lost a lot of money on Solyndra and other green energy uh, science projects. But here's the thing, Tom, why not just be honest? Why not just make this about roads and bridges and uh, pipelines would be nice, but I guess that's not going to be happening. Um, but, you know, other means of infrastructure, because the American people are ready for that. And it could be a bipartisan bill and the Democrats could actually accomplish something that was actually brag worthy. Right. But instead, they have to go through and they have to pad the pockets of their friends in the green energy businesses, uh, pad the union bosses pockets. It never trickles down to the actual union rank and file members. It always stays up there with the bosses who are essentially a lot of times a lot like corporate CEOs more than anything else. It's a business. Um, and Tom, and, and this is how the, the Democrats lose you know their credibility this is why they can't get the american people to vote for them and so they do have to divide people up into buckets and then convince them to all be dependent in one form or another and import people from foreign countries rather than just getting americans to vote for them americans won't vote for them because they lie to them because they do things like call a bill infrastructure and think the americans are dumb enough to believe it when they know good and well it's not infrastructure no, Dr. Jean, it's just fundamentally dishonest, and they're really insulting the intelligence of the American people when, again, per you know, Senator Gillibrand, when you call things that are clearly not even close to infrastructure, you call it infrastructure. It's clearly outrageous. But I think in the bigger picture, what the Democrats really are trying to do, they know they have the House, they got this 50-50 in the Senate, and they think at this point, obviously Biden in the White House, they think they could ram anything through. They know in two years they're going to have a really hard time trying to keep the House and maybe even the Senate. So their game plan is to put as much in their ideas, their agenda into legislation as fast as they can while the clock is running. Look what happened last uh, Friday. All of a sudden there's going to be now a report on the, whether or not the Supreme Court should have more judges or whether they, the Supreme Court should have term limits. They're going to try to ram everything down, and they're going to try to strong arm uh, Senator Joe Manchin and, and Senator Cinema uh, from Arizona, two Democrats who are considered moderate. They're going to try to push them around to keep the left-wing agenda going. Time will tell whether or not these two senators can actually stand on principle. But the Democrats, they do like pushing people around, and they will not hesitate to push their own Democrats around. Tom, the Biden border crisis is also still raging. So Biden says, uh, let's just send a bunch of money uh, over to Central America. Here's the headline. The White House is considering cash payments to Central Americans to stem migration. So, Tom, rather than fund the wall and just finish it, President Trump says it was just weeks away uh, from being finished. I believe the figure was around three months. It could have been completely finished. Um, instead of that, uh, they decided to make payments, cash payments, to Central Americans. Not Americans, Central Americans. 
Tom, this is as kooky as anything I've ever heard of a president proposing. Oh, it's clearly outrageous, and obviously it's not going to work. Look, if these countries operated efficiently with these people trying to be escape them, we know these countries are, are full of corruption. How do we know, even if the money is sent, how do we know it's ever going to reach the people? I bet it's exactly. not. It's going to be some politician who's going to stick it in their pocket. That's clearly a foolish idea. But again, the Democrats are desperate. They reversed former President Trump's border policies that were working. What, March, we had 100 and, over 100, 172,000 uh, migrants that were... Uh, apprehended. And the biggest concern is, you know, uh, we talked about this, I think, before, from the science perspective, you know, I'm really concerned about those COVID cases and COVID variants coming across that southern border that could undermine the effectiveness of our vaccines. There's a big outbreak, I believe, in Brazil. There's a Brazil variant. We have to worry about the health and safety of Americans first. Remember Americans first? Gee, that sounded pretty good to me a few years ago. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and irony of ironies, Tom. Uh, you're, you're there in New York. Uh, the guy who was so worried about COVID that he shut down your entire state. Cuomo says he now wants to pay illegals to come to New York. COVID and all, pay them to come to New York. This is the guy who has cut off the necks, choke stronghold just killed business there, Tom, for the last whole more than a year, not to mention what he's done to folks in nursing homes, not to mention what he's done to kids in schools because COVID was so severe. But all of a sudden now, he's not worried about that and he wants to bring the illegals to New York. Nothing the Democrats do makes any sort of contiguous sense. No, and Dr. Gene, it's outright dangerous, really, when you think of it. Sanctuary cities, all of this is going on. And what's really tragic about this, you know, how many homeless Americans do we have? How many homeless veterans do we have? They should be our priority. But I think with Cuomo, he's always got something up his sleeve. I think it was a gift to progressives so they don't try to vote him out of office. I think, I don't know, but I think there was a backroom deal there that he'll throw the money to the, where the extreme progressives want in, a, in a, an attempt, really, to save his job. That's my thought. So do you, think, do you think Biden just gave up on Kamala being in charge of the border? We know the border czar stepped aside, and now uh, we've got you know, Kamala still out to lunch on the whole issue. But now we've got Biden saying he's going to send money to Central America, and we've got Cuomo saying we're just going to bring illegals to New York and not worry about COVID. And Kamala, she's still, you know, crickets on the whole thing. <laughs> I just never heard. This is literally a clown show. But I, I have to give, uh, uh, I mean, uh, Vice President Harris a, a little credit here. What we know about politicians, they love photo ops. They love to be around people when good things are happening. She doesn't want to be a photo op around those, the kids in cages, although they're plastic or the plexiglass cages. She wants to stay away from that pictures as far as she can, and she certainly doesn't want to draw cameras down to that nightmare that they created. So that's where she's everywhere, but not where she should be. And even if Biden told her to go, she probably is not going to go because <laughs> of the photo op backfire, I think. 
Oh, that's a, that's a actually a great point. But you know, she did have time. I, I've been following her her press pool, her schedule, and she's been she's been back to California to visit home. She's she's done all sorts of uh, crazy things. She's gone uh, uh, pretty much all over the map of the United States, Tom. It looks like a you know crisscross all across <laughs> the U.S. But no time to stop and hug a kid who. Uh, might have been stranded in the desert. I mean, she could do a photo op there with that kid. She could she could go visit one of the kids that was thrown in the Rio Grande and rescued by our border, brave border patrol. She could go hug one of the kids that got thrown over the wall or one of the kids that they saved from a rape from one of the coyotes. I mean, there are all kinds of photo ops she could get that would seem to be, you know, a little humanitarian, but no, huh? No, because with Democrats, it's all about power. That's what it's about. It's not about solving problems. It's about power. There's no real power for her to go down there. It would just draw the national cameras and lights to that crisis and bring more national attention to it. So she's staying away from the border crisis like the plague. Thanks so much, Tom. And coming up, we will show you the video of yesterday's officer involved in the shooting in Minneapolis that has caused rioting across that city. We're going to let you decide whether that officer should be held responsible or not. That's next. Stay right where you are, right here on Dr. Gina Primetime. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back to Back to Gina Primetime. Riots broke out overnight in Minneapolis. A man named Dante Wright died during a traffic stop and another officer involved in shooting that took place right outside of Minneapolis, just miles from where George Floyd died while in police custody. Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, police chief Tim Gannon spoke to reporters today and after reviewing the police body cam said this. During this encounter, however, the officer drew their handgun instead of their taser. For informational purposes, we train with our handguns on our dominant side and our taser on our weak side. So if you're right-handed, you carry your firearm on your right side and you carry your taser on the left. This is done purposefully and it's trained. As I watch the video and listen to the officer's commands, it is my belief that the officer had the intention to deploy their taser, but instead shot Mr. Wright with a single bullet. This appears to me, from what I viewed and the officer's reaction and distress immediately after, that this was an accidental discharge that resulted in the tragic death of Mr. Wright. Then the police chief played the body cam footage from the camera being worn by the officer who shot Dante Wright uh, as he tried to re-enter his car and run from officers. Listen. Oh, 
whole world. Here with me now to discuss criminal defense attorney Vic Bajaj and also someone who spent a long time as a local police officer before joining the FBI Joint Terrorism Task Force, Lieutenant Stephen Rogers. Thank you both for being with us tonight. Pleasure. Thank My you. Pleasure. Thank you. Steve, to you first, what did you glean from that body cam video? Well, to begin with, we must understand that these officers are in a very intense situation. The distress is just incredible. Uh, it seems to me that it was, in fact, an uh, accidental discharge. But, of course, we have to wait and we have to see what the totality of information and investigation brings. But, uh, Dr. Gina, it boils down to what we've said all along. Don't resist the police. Uh, it's a minor motor vehicle uh, action, and the guy resisted, and unfortunately, it's a tragedy. Nobody wants to see anybody die, but it's something that uh, the investigation is going to have to bore out in due time. Vic, tell me, is, is this officer going to end up being charged? I mean, shooting someone by accident is still a crime, but the man was trying to resist, as Lieutenant Rogers said. Um, should that be taken into account? Absolutely, and I think when you look at it and you look at the the, the video footage we just saw, but then when you separate the audio and you listen to the audio step by step, you can see a clear escalation here of the resistance by the now deceased Mr. Wright, unfortunately. And what you see is the approaching officer does not show any signs of aggression. In other words, he doesn't have his baton deployed. He doesn't have his firearm deployed. It's not until he becomes aware on the a communication assistance device, the mobile terminal through the law enforcement officers that Mr. Wright had a warrant out for his arrest. At that point, he pulls him out of the vehicle and you can very distinctly hear the first officer say, you know what, don't do it, man, don't do it, don't tense up. And of course, then we see Mr. Wright in fact tensing up and then try to make a getaway with the car. So absolute resistance, I think there's a lack of intent or anything that could be colored to be intent on behalf of the approaching officers as well. Now, this is gonna be dissected piece by piece and millisecond by millisecond, but I'm confident in my belief in this case that the officer did not have any intent and perhaps may have acted civilly negligent, perhaps not criminally negligent in this case. You can look forward to suspension, but a criminal charge, I'd be hard pressed to believe that would come anytime soon in this case. The problem is there's a, just such a segment of the society that will not be satisfied with that no matter what. Steve, the police chief spoke about their training. What do you take from that explanation that this was accidental use of the officer's firearm instead of the taser? Does that, does that training explanation make sense to you? Um, and is that familiar to you in terms of what you know? Yes, it does. Uh, look, I was involved in a terrible shooting in the 1990s that did result in the death of a criminal suspect. All the training in the world, believe me, uh, doesn't train you for that split-second decision that you have to make that can either end up uh, in the death of a criminal suspect uh, or of a police officer. Uh, so you just have to uh, hope to God Almighty that in that split second you've made the right decision. Now, keep in mind, in this officer's mind, she made the right decision because as our, our good uh, attorneys, in fact, I'm, imagine that, I'm saying an attorney's a good, a good guy. <laughs> I don't say that with attorneys, but, but our, our good attorney here that you have on as a guest uh, articulated very well that this officer uh, was not showing any aggression, taser, taser, taser. So I would say that the training kicked in to a degree, but that, that the idea that you could be shot and killed by a hesitant moment, 
that could have kicked in too and caused this very unfortunate incident. Yeah, and as Steve said, Vic, the Chauvin trial happening right now, the city of Minneapolis on edge. The situation here could get much worse tonight now that the body cam has been, the footage has been released. Um, do you think it was a good idea to release that footage? Usually we don't see that footage for weeks after a shooting, but this was released in about 24 hours. Do you think there was purpose behind that? And then um, what do you also make of uh, some of the precautions that the, that the city is taking at this point? Well, well, I think it's absolutely... I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I thought that was for me. Go ahead, sir. I was saying it's absolutely correct to release that at this point in time because the only other option is to not release it and then make a charging decision, for example, not to charge the officer. And as we can see in the Chauvin murder trial that's uh, scheduled and is ha actually being handled right now, in that case, the attorney general's office did the inverse. They made the charging decision first and then released the body-worn camera and of course, the body-worn camera is a double-edged sword, so it may not bode as well for the prosecution as they may have hoped. In this case, I believe the powers that be there have analyzed and reanalyzed and reanalyzed again the body-worn camera and decided, you know what, as a preliminary matter, we believe that this officer should not be collateral damage here just because there are loud voices on the other side to incarcerate and charge her. And instead of doing that, they put out the evidence. So in this case, I believe releasing the body-worn camera evidence was exactly the prudent move. It was a respectful move to the public. And I think it may, in fact, appease any kind of violent outbursts or damage or vandalizing outbursts that we would otherwise see in a greater degree. Uh, Steve, and do you concur with that? Because it sounded like you had something to offer there as well. Yes, I do. I've learned in police work that transparency and expeditiously uh, being transparent with the facts is key to minimizing any type of reaction uh, that may be even es more escalated than what we've seen. But I I've got to tell you, Dr. Gina, what I am disturbed about is the governor of that state making a statement, uh, uh, more or less, uh, obviously I'm going to paraphrase it, but he, he made okay, a statement. Okay, hold on. Hold that on to that thought. Hold on to that thought, because we're going we're gonna to get to that right now. I want to tell okay. you about that statement. <laughs> Minnesota okay. governor tweeted this. I'm closely monitoring the situation in Brooklyn Center. Gwen and I are praying for Dante Wright's family as our state mourns another life of a black man taken by law enforcement. Um, now, Steve, I'm going to let you comment on that. I just wanted to get to that statement specifically. Sure. That adds fuel to the fires of racism, adds fuel to the fires of separation between the police and the people. 100 police officers were killed in the line of duty this year. Just past two or three weeks, we've had uh, a number of officers shot and killed. Uh, three were shot uh, this week in Georgia. So to suggest that cops are going out there killing young black men is absolutely wrong. And I even have heard from black officers who are really fed up with these politicians playing the race card. This is all about uh, 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 someone that should have not resisted. It's an unfortunate situation. It's an accidental uh, misfiring of that officer of her weapon at this point. It should be left at that until the facts are certainly borne out. And, and Vic, you can't incite violence. You know, you can't, you can't, uh, you know, yell fire in a movie theater. You can't, I mean, there are, there, there are rules uh, uh, in the law that say, you know, we, you can't do that kind of thing. And this, there should be, and I think there is actually a higher standard even for elected officials um, about inciting the public, um, especially where rioting is concerned. And it's not as if we don't already have it on record that this city in particular is prone 
toward rioting. Um, so when you think of any damage that would occur or anything that would come out of this statement made by him, do you think that he could be held accountable for inciting with that, with that statement? Because it didn't need to be put like that, but it, he chose to put it that way. Yet another black man uh, killed by a police officer didn't need to be put that way. Well, if we're, you know, 25 years ago in law school and we are given that question in utopia, we would say, no, that's uh, not inciting violence. Uh, but in today's world, knowing the consequences that come about when these descriptive terms are used when these incidents occur, it is absolutely inciting violence. But in no way, shape or form will there be any liability or any responsibility for that. I find it very interesting, you know, Dr. Gina, when you talk about politicians inciting public opinion, I mean, that's what they do for a living. And politicians are self-preservationists, and they're going to play the fiddle to the song that gets them the greatest amount of people in the audience. And that's exactly what's happening. I'll tell you, as a trial attorney, as a litigator who actually trials, tries cases for the past almost 20 years in state and federal court, I'll tell you this. When I looked at the body-worn camera and I listened to the words between Mr. Wright just faintly and then the two officers that were primarily involved, I didn't see a black detained individual and a potentially ethnic first approaching officer and a Caucasian lady then approaching. I saw an individual who was detained. I, I heard on the communication assistance device that there was an active warrant for a firearm, I believe. And then I saw somebody resisting and unfortunate actions happening in milliseconds thereafter. I didn't see a black person and a white person and perhaps a, a mixed race individual, but it wasn't until we see these tweets. It's a black man and a white shooter. These are descriptive terms that are out there specifically to play to the public audience in order to garner support. So inciting support, inciting violence, the popular let's say, fruit or flavor of the month is exactly what politicians do. Should they be held culpable and, and liable for it? Absolutely. Will they in reality in today's culture that we have in these types of incidents and others, given the stratification of our political atmosphere now? Absolutely not. And that is entirely unfortunate. Well, the whole situation all the way around is sad. I think people are probably more on edge, Vic, honestly, just with all the tension. The reality is this may not have happened had the whole Chauvin case have not happened and been so high profile and the whole area been so tense and so under scrutiny to begin with. I mean, that's the reality of our society these days anyway. Vic Bajaj and Stephen Rogers, thank you so much for both of you for being with us today. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. Coming up, there are some experts out there who are brave enough to say that taking the vaccine might be something you want to ask questions about. We're going to tell you about that next. More Dr. Gina Primetime coming up. Stay with us. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. And welcome back to Dr. Gina Primetime. 
Jessica Rivera joins us now from our headquarters in Denver, Colorado. Jessica, you always have some great stuff for us that we didn't know, and uh, I have no doubt today will be the same. What do you have today, Jessica? Well, Dr. Gina, former Pfizer Vice President and Chief Science Officer, Dr. Mike Yeadon, says it's unethical to give a new and untested vaccine for a virus that has such high survival rates. Take a listen. Some people have, have called for zero COVID as if it's some political slogan. And there are some people I've heard calling for it almost every day. They're completely unqualified to tell you anything. Something that's really important to know is that SARS-CoV-2, it's an unpleasant virus. There's no question about it, but it's not what you were told in spring. We were originally told that it would kill perhaps 3% of people it infected, which is horrifying. That's 30 times worse than flu. We always overestimate the lethality of new infectious diseases when we're in the eye of the storm. I believe the true infection fatality ratio of COVID-19, the true threat to life is the same as seasonal flu. And according to the CDC, people aged 20 years and younger have a survival rate of 99.997%. Those aged 20 to 49 have a survival rate of 99.98%. And those aged 50 to 69, it's 99.5%. Dr. Eden also says there are serious risks that come with Pfizer's COVID vaccine, like increased risk of blood clots because of how the vaccine binds to blood platelets, which triggers clotting. The doctor also points out that COVID-19 is 80% similar to SARS. It is also very similar to the common cold viruses. So when so-called health experts came out saying that the population had no immunity in the beginning, it was wrong and it was a lie because they knew it was different. 30% of the population was already immune from day one because of what is known as cross immunity. Dr. Eden adds, only those that become the most ill with COVID-19 will develop antibodies. But T-cells are also an important immunity fighter that is not being tested or talked about. And when these so-called health experts say antibodies don't last long in the body, he says that only happens when the actual virus is fading from the population. So driving COVID to zero makes no sense. So there's no reason why you would want to try and drive COVID to zero. It's a nonsense. That's just not how biology is. And all the means I have heard uh, proposed as, as ways to get us there are much more damaging and, and pathological, I would say, than, than the virus itself. I don't believe it can be done. It's not scientifically realistic. It's not medically realistic. And it's not what we have ever done. Gina, Dr. Yeadon also says at this point, more than 60% of population has immunity from herd immunity. So there can no longer be a pandemic by definition, but the quote unquote pandemic continues because governments say so. Unbelievable. I mean, I'm writing so fast to take notes on everything you're saying, Jessica, because this is so fascinating. We keep getting these numbers. I know I had a guest on my show, Justin Hart, on Friday that said um, that those under 65 have about the same chance of uh, dying from, from the beginning um, as dying in a daily commute from the beginning, uh, those under 65, and that those over 65 had about the same chance of dying if uh, in a car accident as if they were a professional truck driver. So, <laughs> I mean, these stats were just never high. This was never a real huge death threat to the average population. And in fact, um, some statistics I've read said that dying of the flu was actually a higher risk. And also the fact that we have no flu deaths this year, right? None um, for the last year 
they've just not published them. I don't know. They've gone away or we've just called them COVID deaths or who knows what happened to the flu deaths. But anyway, makes you wonder we're part of the deaths that we're calling COVID flu deaths um, because they would be a form of COVID anyway. So we're just calling them flu. We're just calling them COVID deaths when they were actually flu. Have we had, I mean, is, is, are the numbers so significantly low that they're even lower than the numbers that you and I uh, just cited from Dr. Yeter and uh, beyond? It's, it's, it's really amazing when you think about what we've done to our culture and our society. I have two friends that have uh, committed suicide over it. The countless number of unkept medical appointments, you know, the children out of school, all the rest of it is just, it's crazy. Jessica, thank you so much. Of course, Dr. Gina. All right, well, it is Monday, and every week on this day, I get to go on Kevin McCullough's radio show, and then he comes on my show. And Kevin, it's always great to see you. Thanks for being with us. Dr. Gina, always a pleasure to be with you, and thank you for having me once again. And Kevin, your town hall column this week is called Why Biden is Erasing America. And Kevin, I thought it was great. It was number one on town hall uh, for the longest time. And Kevin, explain it to us. It's important for Americans to understand. There's been so much at such blinding speed that the Biden administration has tried to get across, either through executive orders or through uh, narrow one-vote margins in the Senate, uh, and expect more of this to come. But really, he, they, they threw a shot across the bow last Friday in calling for the reform of the Supreme Court, uh, an issue that almost no Americans care about whatsoever. The only reason the administration does is because it is a very emboldened court system that has been rejuvenated by uh, Trump appointments over the last three years, more than 300 in total, uh, that have brought the courts back to an original jurisprudence uh, kind of position. And what you're beginning to see is the rumblings of maybe the uh, attempt to finally erase the last vestige of accountability and uh, integrity and transparency. And if they are able to reform the court, pack the Supreme Court with as many justices as they want, uh, explain that uh, the, the Constitution doesn't really matter the way it used to uh, be understood. Now it's a, it's a whole new day that we live in, et cetera. You're gonna see, uh, you're gonna see a, a significant change. And I called him out on every single element of uh, American life that he's trying to change. And it's, it's, it's due process for the American people. If we don't step up and respond in this moment and say, this is not gonna happen on our watch and push back, they will take the America that you and I grew up in and the one that we love, they're gonna take it away from us completely. Yeah, I mean, their, their real job is to take away everything that was America first. And, and their agenda truly, and you've heard this said, is in a way America last. But I think the hardest part is watching, you know, the real pain of Americans. You know, every time there's a shooting, and there was another shooting just today, um, and, uh, you know, they use it before there even is time to get, uh, to take a breath from what happened before, before people even find out that their loved ones were in the shooting. They're already politicizing it. They're already trying to hop on with however it can fit into their agenda. When, when there was a stabbing, I remember Democrat politicians jumping on air and saying, well, if it had been a gun, we need to ban guns because if it had been a gun, it would have been no. If it had been a, if you had banned guns, that would mean the criminals have them, and there's much fewer chances of anyone with a gun actually defending the criminals who will still have the guns. Because when you make new laws, guess what? The only people who give up their guns are the law-abiding people, not the criminals. The criminals will still have them. I don't understand why the Democrats um, seem to be so toned up on anything. 
anything moral. It's as if they have just checked in their morality card and sold their soul for power and money. Kevin, I can't, I can't find well, the morality that used to at least exist in part. Yeah. I think there's an explanation for that. I think that three and a half years of Donald Trump showed them that a healthy uh, and whole uh, republic is capable of turning back great amounts of progressive agenda items very quickly. And I think the reason you're seeing this desperate mad dash uh, to try to get all of this done, to change the court system, to change the laws, to grab the guns, to keep everybody locked down, uh, et cetera, I think the, ma the main uh, psychology behind that is we've only got an ex this amount of runway between now and 2022, and we can't let the American people actually implement voting reform and have these things come back into balance. They are desperate. Their time is ticking away, and that's why you're seeing such dramatic uh, and, and large swaths of, of power grab uh, the way they are. I think they're going to be largely turned back in the courts. I do think that the Trump presidency, one of its lasting legacies, is its impact on the jurisprudence of this country. They don't want those courts to take on these cases, and that's why they've got to, they've got to reform the courts before they get there. It's just, it's, the whole thing is, is interesting to watch and what the American psyche will do with it is fascinating beyond words to me. Our prayers do go out to, uh, there has been one death uh, so far in the shooting today mm -hmm. in Tennessee and our prayers do go out to those high school uh, students and teachers and all of those involved with that shooting today. Mm -hmm. But we do like to end on a positive note. So we are going to move on in the show, Kevin, because it is time for our meme of the day. Now, this is a family feud question, Kevin, and each contestant is at the buzzer and ready to answer. And the question is, name something you won't find at the border. And of course, you know the answer is uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris because you will not find them at the border. Kevin, why won't they just make an appearance at the border? It, 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 honestly, they, they, they don't even have to do anything, but it would just shut the right down, right? Or, I mean, I don't even know if it's the right at this point. It's just everyone who cares about anyone, whether your concern is for the illegals coming across the border and the humanitarian plight there, or whether your concern is for, you know, the people around the border, or whether your concern is for America and the fact that there's no way possible we can handle this, or even, I've heard, uh, the concern for the environmental impact that it will have on America. The environmentalists are getting upset that Joe and Kamala have not gone there yet because there's no way that America can absorb this environmental impact. And so, Kevin, everyone's upset. All they got to do is go. Why haven't they gone? I'm not sure, but I'm picking up my phone and calling Dr. Fauci because on that picture, neither one of them had masks on. I'll see you next week. I got to go take care of this. Yeah, Dr. Fauci, they weren't wearing masks. They had pictures. They were there. They didn't have any masks on. They're just, they're just there. Oh, we always thank Kevin other. for being with us. And I'm, I'm just glad he's got the direct line to Dr. Fauci, who thinks he has the answers for everything, even though he's usually wrong. And thanks to you for joining me tonight, everyone here at your new home for Real News, Real America's Voice, RAV TV, live from Studio 6. Be up next with Damon and the crew, and you will laugh. Hug your children. Love your God. You go boldly now and live the truth. See you tomorrow.